Hello, my name is Ashley Balin, and welcome to Baby Puppy, the parenting podcast for anyone raising a human or fur baby. Now, before I start getting angry emails from people in the dog community or parenting community about how different raising a dog is from a child, trust me, I know, I know, I'm not saying they're the same at all. But as a professional dog trainer and behavior consultant and a mother, there are a startling number of similarities. I've applied strategies from my dog training education and experience to parenting with great success and vice versa. From the early days with an infant or puppy, dealing with teething, crate or crib training, socialization and language acquisition, to nutrition, anxiety, coping mechanisms, independence, confidence building and more, it's impossible to deny a crossover. On each episode of this podcast, we'll explore a different topic and speak with a parenting expert to gain insight, strategies, and advice while comparing them to my experience working with dogs. Join me on this journey to raise confident, empathetic, respectful, happy, and healthy dogs and humans. This week, I got to record a conversation with one of my favorite people in the world, Dara Bergeron. Dara is a veteran trainer and movement educator specializing in body-neutral movement and mindset specifically for moms. She's the creator of Belly Bootcamp and co-creator of Mama Reset. Dara and I delve deep into a topic we both explore with our clients daily. How do you create new habits and routines when you're unmotivated, distracted, exhausted, overworked, or simply can't justify prioritizing yourself? I'm thinking about convincing Dara to join me for a part two of this conversation because we just barely scratched the surface of this really important dialogue. Enjoy. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I know we've been we've been talking for a little bit before this. Just like a little natural. We, we're yeah. We're doing like the the soap opera introduction. Every like, podcast ever. Where you're in. <laughs> um, okay, so let's uh, let's just take a moment to introduce yourself. What is your name and what do you do professionally? So my name is Dara Bergeron, and professionally, I I'm a I'm a personal trainer. I'm a fitness trainer. Um, that's how I started out 20 years ago, and over the years, I've become um, an entrepreneur and I do, you know, writing and public speaking and those kinds of things. But I, um, but what I really do is I, I I'm, I'm a trainer. <laughs> and you are a mom, you have, you have kids. I do. I have three kids. They are 13, almost 11. I mean, you didn't ask, but I mean, <laughs> they're, but I, but I care. So <laughs> <laughs> they're 13, almost 11. And um, the little one just turned six in the summer. Wow. Yeah. I can't yeah. It's crazy that she's six already, huh? I know. It's true. And she's like, she really threw me for a loop, like <laughs> physically, emotionally <laughs> um, going. I remember when we were expecting our third and, um, you know, people, some people told you, you know, you ask a hundred people, you'll get every, any opinion that you want to hear, you'll hear, you know, but um, some people were like, oh, once you have two three is, you know, no big deal, but I found there's always an odd man out with three. And, uh, so that has been challenging. 
Well, and I guess there's a bigger age difference too, right? Like your your youngest probably doesn't share a lot of the same interests or want to do the same activities as the older ones do. Yeah, a lot of the time that's the case. And then um, she's just like a spicy meatball on top of it. So, um, and has always been very, uh, a very spirited child, as they say. And so... Um, the first two kind of tricked me and lulled me into like a false confidence because their personalities are very calm and <laughs> go with the flow. And then the third one came along and just kicked me in the ass. <laughs> so. Yeah, well, there, there's an expression in dog training, and I, I'm not quite sure it applies to kids, but we can pretend that it does. Yeah. <laughs> and and the, the, the expression is that you don't always end up with the dog you want, but you end up with the dog you need. Totally. I think, and I do feel it's kind of true for children too that they kind of come into your life at specific times and have certain personalities and temperaments and interests to force you to reflect on yourself. Yeah, I think you're right, and I, I think that's kind of how life is, and opportunities and interactions with other humans uh, work in general. You know, if we're paying attention, there are always. Um, lessons and questions and you know uh, yeah you can always go into something with an open mind and learn to how to reframe or you could just be pessimistic and complain all the time they can think there's nothing to change <laughs> yeah exactly uh and you just because it's pertinent to this podcast do you have you have dogs you don't have dogs no um my we had dogs growing up and my mom and my like my family all have dogs but I am sorry to tell you that I have cats you don't have to it's not like a dog versus cat thing <laughs> you know you can you can just love animals <laughs> doesn't love like beg me for dogs on a daily basis um but uh the again it really I just can't imagine having one more butt or mouth to take care of and so having another having a dog is like having another child yes it is this is what I see with my mom and my sister got puppies from the same litter two years ago and they're the puppies are very different personalities um like very sweet but it's uh it's incredible like there are times when they're like I have to be back at this time and I'm like wow I don't feel that um restricted with my children you know (laughs) exactly the thing about children is that in most situations unless you're going to a strip club or something you can bring them they're allowed exactly (laughs) yeah with with the dog you can maybe take them on a patio if it's nice outside and other than that they have to stay home yeah and that is not that is not a level of complication I feel the need to add to my life right now (laughs) yeah no it's it's a really big responsibility (laughs) it is Okay, so this is what I want. There are so many things I could talk to you about. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for hours just about nothing. But what I specifically wanted to talk to you about today is like, while our jobs are obviously so different in so many ways, mm-hmm. ultimately we're both trainers mm-hmm. and we both primarily work with parents and families. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you train people and I train, well, <laughs> people. <laughs> I also train people and dogs sometimes. (laughs) But seriously, like our our knowledge is vastly different and our clients come to us to achieve completely different goals. But the the major thing that I see in common, and it's one of the most challenging parts of my job, Mm -hmm. is how to motivate someone to incorporate something into their daily routine that, you know, hopefully becomes habit Mm -hmm. that they 
don't actually enjoy doing and don't feel they have time for. Mm-hmm. And so I guess like, before we get into the the nitty gritty about yeah. you know, motivation and routine changes and finding time and balance and like all of that stuff, mm-hmm. like, let's just start with the basics. Like who who are your clients primarily and why do they typically reach out to you for the first time? Yeah, so... Um, so parents, moms, you know, um, and, and anyone who kind of identifies as a mom. And so we have, um, I have a business that's called belly Boot Camp, which is prenatal and postnatal, very specific to like the stages of kind of pregnancy and postpartum mat leave. Um, and then I have another business called mama reset and that is all online programming, a monthly membership with a partner, a longtime girlfriend, fellow uh, trainer of my um, girlfriend named Laura Wood. And that's also directed at moms, but that's more for moms who are kind of past the, you know, more, more in the stage where you and I are at, like getting into like the preschool, um, schooling. And, and I think um, what I find so continuously engaging about working with moms because I started belly boot camp when I was at that stage in my life. I was pregnant with my second, you know, I was immersed in that kind of new mom life. And then mama reset is just something that Laura and I've created in the last few years. And we really want to have um, lasting power with that in a way that keeps us interested because, you know, as you know, for yourself, probably you get out of the diaper stage and you're like, you just want to like, you know, I wanted to like stab myself in the eye anytime anyone talked about like night waking or, you know what I mean? I don't want to talk about it anymore. I didn't want to have those conversations while I was experiencing it. It's like a PTSD thing. I'm never back and I do not want to go back there. Um, But what I find so constantly engaging about working with parents um, and moms in particular is that I find that um, really get the short end of the stick in terms of like not just media messaging and uh, double standards and cultural expectations around things like beauty and how much of our time and energy should be devoted to, um, you know, self-care and maintaining a certain kind of an image, but also that really... um, that those kinds of like complicated messages and you talked about motivation for just a moment there and like the commonalities between our two positions that the job really is, you know, 20% knowing your stuff, your dog science for me, my exercise science. Right. And it's 80% understanding what is the psychology or how can I put this into a package or a system that will actually like engender some kind of desire and commitment to the process. Right. And so I think that what's so fun about working with fellow moms is that I can, I've been on the journey myself and I know the psychological transformation that had to happen for me in order to be able to approach exercise and movement in a way that didn't feel crappy all the time, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, I totally get it. And I feel that way. And that resonates a lot with me, even with my own clients, like Mm -hmm. although it's dog related, really, I'm just you know, my, my business is all about human relationships. It's not like I'm going into people's homes and having a conversation with their dog. So, uh, you know, my, my clients usually fit into one of three categories also that actually kind of align with what you're doing. Like either I'm working with brand new dog owners that just got a puppy and that's Mm -hmm. the equivalent of like a new mom. Yeah. Um, you know, or I'm working with dog owners that have been intending to address a specific challenge or like make a positive change forever, but they've waited until it's actually negatively impacted their lives or their dog's life. Yeah. And then the third category is people that 
you know, recently went through a major life change and that the result of that major life change, not just on themselves, but on their dog, was that it's created some sort of like behavior challenge or relationship shift. So, you know, that could be something like a, a move or a new child or a divorce or like a loss of a family member or, you know, more recently, COVID. Yeah. Um, you know, COVID's changed a, a, a lot of relationships and created a lot of anxieties, both in in people and dogs. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, I mean, as you're as you're describing, you know, the the kind of like prenatal, like postpartum, various stages. Like, I feel like in a sense that my clients are are aligned with that in a specific way, but only with their dogs instead of babies. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same kind of. Um, I mean, it's the same kind of responsibility or I, I, one of the ways I refer to it as like, I say like, I'm a mom to mom. So I do, as you know, I mean, I do take on a small number of private clients at any given point. I float like a certain, you know, a small number of private clients and I don't advertise those services. Um, I focus on the other businesses mostly, but I like doing the, I like the one-on-one relationship of um, the private coaching and it keeps me sharp because it keeps me, you know, developing programming, talking to people, et cetera, right? Which as you probably, I think a lot of us are realizing I've been working from home exclusively for six years, but I'm talking to a lot of other people who haven't been doing that, who in the last six months have realized you can really get into a little bubble when you work from home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah. You are like, you don't know what's going on outside of your desk, you know, and you don't have that kind of like back and forth with colleagues and stuff that you have maybe when you work in like a traditional, you know, work environment or whatever. Where was I going with this? We're talking about no, no, there's really something to be said about like, you know, taking pajamas off and putting a pair of pants on for a business. Or meeting. like putting a bra on. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like putting a bra on. Even if you don't see it, I'm putting a bra on. Um, yeah, it's like, what a novel concept. You know they're hanging out. And so it's just <laughs> it's distracting. Uh, but yeah, I think I was going to say, so I sometimes will say like, I feel like I'm a mom to moms. or I feel like moms often or parents often are, they're like the base of the pyramid, you know? And so they're sort of like the catch-all for everything and they support everything. And they're, sometimes we, sometimes that's okay. Sometimes we are a solid base and other times we need a layer underneath us. And I think that's where coaching comes in. It's not that we're still not holding up everything above us. It's just, we just need that support of that extra layer underneath us sometimes. And that's where the coaching just helps to make sure there's someone checking in, whether it's on exercise or their relationship with the dog or, um, you know, whether, you know, whatever, one might get coached on, you know, organization or whatever, that um, knowing that there's someone else who cares how that outcome is, you know, and, and is there to reach out, check in, et cetera. And I think so much, we are the support system. We are the one checking is the, you know, has the dog eaten enough today? Have the kids done their homework? Is my partner, you know what I mean? Um, Am I giving enough attention to my partner? Have I called my mom this week? We're all, we are checking in on all these people and all these creatures. And then sometimes we need that light that we need that for ourselves, you know? Yeah. And it's, it's really challenging, not just to, to find a support system and a network, Mm -hmm. but also to accept the the support when it's being offered. Or to hire it. I mean, yeah, exactly. Yeah. If, I mean, if you're in a position to be yeah, able to do that. Totally, totally. That, yeah, with an understanding that that's quite a, a, a privileged outlook, but as, assuming that that's an option, you know, um, to recognize that um, 
that that resources are resources and sometimes you may have more resources in the fame force form of dollars in that moment than time or energy or knowledge right so yeah i mean in in your industry i imagine that you know there are many people that understand intellectually that you know eating more nourishing foods or improving their strength or focusing on self-care has countless, you know, both short and long-term benefits, but those types of like major life changes and reframes require sacrifice. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the same with my clients. Like they understand that doing daily training and providing exercise outlets for their dogs will improve their ability to communicate and increase their bond and eliminate unwanted behaviors and blah, 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 blah. And those are all things that are highly desirable to them. Mm-hmm. But then days pass and work and family and other responsibilities and mental load and motherhood and all of those things become a priority. Mm-hmm. Like I remember when you and I were working together, I noticed like so much crossover in the advice you were giving me and the advice yeah. that I gave my clients. <laughs> and like most notably, like if you're if you're not motivated to do something, you're not gonna do it. Yeah. Like so that's the big question is, you know, you can know what you should be doing in order to improve your life, but how do you help someone find that internal motivation that's actually like actionable when they, when they really don't believe they have the time or enjoy the activity that they're being asked to do? Yeah, that's a, like, I, I mean, I really have to speak to that from my, I'm going to use the word wheelhouse. We'll just forget I ever said it. Okay. But, um, which is exercise and and nutrition, you know, and those kinds of things like self-care or whatever. Um, but I think what's, what holds a lot of us back is the expectation, um, that we will be motivated, you know, the expectation that the problem is the, the program, the problem is the diet or, you know, the problem is, um, is, is something we can purchase or something we can, you know, we're waiting around for a solution. But um, number one, I think there's a certain level of mental health and safety and physical health that's necessary. We want to um, understand that when we're talking about like motivation for exercise or motivation for something like, you know, um, pet relationships or parenting, those kinds of things that we have to be in a space where our basic needs are being met, you know? So, um, so if we are really struggling on a super kind of a primal level with our health, with our mental health, um, with, um, insecurity in relationships, insecurity in our career or anything like that, any of that stuff is going to put all of that sort of, you know, high level, improve my life stuff on the back burner, right? So um, I, I think creating some sort of feelings of whole, like overall wellness in your life is not just a pie in the sky idea. I think really, we need to sort of learn to kind of examine how we go through our days and, and how we are mindful of our behaviors and our habits in general. Because um, I don't think that unless we, I think that we have to be um, willing to kind of look at what, whether our habits, whether our actions in general align with our values. So that might be, for example, I think that, you know, um, I'd like to start exercising again, but it seems impossible because I'm working, you know, nine to to six and I've got the kids in before and after school care by the time I pick them up, you know, I'm going home making dinner. And so, so the, the thing about coaching is you might know from 
from our work together is that this really like unravels, it kind of opens a Pandora's box of like, well, did you, is this really how you want to live? You know, because, and that's a hard thing to, to bring up in the context of, you know, could you just write me an exercise program? But in real, <laughs> but in real like personal coaching, you know, it really does come down sometimes to like looking at your life and thinking, if it's important to me that I take physical care of myself, is this a sustainable way for me to live? You know, do, do I need to ask for more help from my partner? Do I need to, like, have I been thinking about, um, do I hate my career? Like there are so many things I think that are so much more important than exercise, you know, that need to be sorted out as a part of this. And when those things fall into place, then it's much easier for us to get to that sweet spot of having like a kind of lifelong exercise habit. Um, but I think when you get past that, so assuming that someone is a place where they're safe and they're relatively well, and you know, their life is, you know, fairly aligned with their, what they need and want, then I think it's not to stop assuming that there is something in between you and getting started because really the only thing is shutting off that messaging in the back of your head that says if it's not 30 minutes or 60 minutes, it's worthless. Or if it's not five days a week, it's worthless. Or if your body's not shrinking, it's worthless. And just not waiting to have the motivation, not waiting for the perfect program and just starting with literally whatever it is that you have in your capabilities at the moment. Right. Like I, I agree with everything you just said on, <laughs> on, so, on so many levels, but I also think that, you know, it's a little idealistic, right? What I'm like, I, idealistic. Yeah, but I, there's nothing wrong with being idealistic. Yeah. Like I, I'm, I'm a true <laughs> idealist in every aspect of my life, but it's also a big ask. Like sometimes you're never going to have the job that you want and you're never going to choose your hours and you're always going to have some struggles with your partner. And like, those aren't things that you can kind of figure out and wait to eliminate prior to focusing on yourself. Absolutely. So like, and I, and I, I also personally find that having like an overarching goal like eat healthy or work out or get my dog to stop humping my guests. Like, you know, like those types of things, they're, they're not helpful because they just seem daunting and unachievable mm-hmm. because there's no like concrete steps mm-hmm. involved. Mm-hmm. So, you know, from a dog training perspective, like when I, what I usually recommend with all my clients is to stop focusing on these like long-term goals of having the perfect dog or, you know, a well-behaved dog in all circumstances mm-hmm. or these, these sort of like these, th- I don't know, these like ideals that don't really mean anything mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. instead focus on just creating like a really simple and intuitive like daily or weekly routine with like these minute goals mm-hmm. so that at least as you meet those like little goals on a daily basis, you really feel like you've succeeded regardless mm-hmm. of whether you actually see any immediate results or not. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it it is similar to when you and I were working together. Like I was probably the client you hated because I <laughs> because I'm the one that was saying like I don't have time for any of this shit. I can't. <laughs> I, can't I hate working out. There's no part of it that I'm ever going to enjoy. But once like I what like when we started, you were just giving me like these like eight to ten minute workouts yeah. every day, and 
I really didn't enjoy any of it, but because of the fact that it was so, it was so short, yeah. I found time to do it every day yeah. and I did feel good about myself after I did it. Exactly. And so that's the, that's the, that is the power. So the, that we get the order of it wrong. We think we will be motivated and then we will start, but it goes the other way. When we start, we become more motivated to continue. And I think that's important. And when we are talking about eight minute workouts, 10 minute workouts, basic, like to me, I consider that kind of uh, amount of movement, you know, um, it's sufficient for sure. And I have many clients, you know, this week I've done, aside from walking, uh, you know, a 20 minute workout, a 50 and two 15 minute workouts, you know, so far we're on Wednesday, right? And, and, and there are definitely seasons in everyone's lives or particular weeks or days when the amount that you can dedicate to, you know, specific movement is, is lower or higher. Um, but yeah, getting that it's, it's turning off the, the thoughts that are, um, allowing you to continue delaying, distracting, um, and, and, you know, really negative self-talk, like, like a lot of, I think for, for a lot of moms, a lot of parents, but females in particular, like the body shame stuff is a huge, huge problem in terms of that getting started because we perceive that every effort in, um, it, it, that we make in terms of exercise needs to be in the name of fat loss. And so we, because we can only see, you know, calorie burning as a goal, we can't see the value of like 10 minutes of body weight movement or mobility or, you know, a one kilometer run, if that's what we have time for in the morning. We can't see the value of that because we're so roadblocked at, I need the absolute most volume and intensity possible because I'm like a biggest loser contestant. You know what I mean? Like, so that, I find that really is where a lot of women actually get stuck. So when I talk about aligning your values with your actions, I mean, sometimes people make really big life changes in our coaching. I've had women quit their jobs, start new jobs. I've seen, you know, relationships change, but sometimes it's not quite as high level as that. It may just be like, literally like we're saying, like asking for help um, or, and that, whether that's in the form of a coach or asking a partner or a relative, um, or it could be like communicating boundaries to a boss or asking to be able to work from home one day a week. So I've seen women make really big changes in their lives through a good coaching relationship because, as they um, put money and 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 energy and investment of their resources into this coaching and into this goal of taking better care of themselves, they realize that if that's truly a goal, some other things sometimes have to shift. You know? Yeah, you know, definitely. And I think it's really difficult because, as you said, I mean, body body size and body shaming and yeah. body dysmorphia and all of those things are is so overwhelming that mm-hmm. it's like crippling to think about. Yeah. Um, but I also think that like on a somewhat smaller scale, like people in general just seek instant gratification in every aspect totally, of their life. Totally. And, and you know, they they lose track of their goals if they're unable to see like immediate success. Yeah. So by having very clear sort of like daily routines and goals, it allows for that ongoing success and validation because you're not doing like, you know, 30 daily things leading up to one larger goal. You actually just set individual daily goals. So you're always succeeding. Exactly. 
And that's what you were saying about the short workouts or the, you know, focusing on a single habit at a time, or I'm not sure in your coaching, if it's focusing on a particular behavior, you know what I mean? Or a particular correction at a time, but yeah, and obviously it depends. Like my recommendations for families are obviously tailored to the individual or, or mm. tailored to whatever their goals are, like yours are, yeah. um, you know, and, and obviously you need to also take like the family dynamic and lifestyle and individual personalities into consideration. Yeah. Like some people thrive with very strict instructions and routines and Ooh. others feel suffocated by those things. So two families could have the exact same goals, but with the first family, I might create an hourly schedule that they blindly follow. And the second family, I have to like trick them into doing 10 minutes of activity a day in order to like see the same results. So it's, you know, it's, I think that's why I think that like being intuitive and being able to understand the, the, the person or the family that you're working with is actually, you know, far more important than what the actual goals are. Yeah, exactly. And that, that comes from also probably working with enough people that you can identify, um, you know, what sort of, what sorts of strategies have worked for, people in the past, you know? Yeah, um, definitely. It's, it's the same with like, you know, with, with your work as a personal trainer or, you know, with my work or with most people that are service-based. Mm-hmm. If they just follow kind of like one set of recommendations, then only 20% of their clients end up being satisfied. But if you can learn how to kind of customize those recommendations then you end up with a lot more, you know, a larger number of satisfied clients. Totally. Because I, I mean, what really makes someone feel successful, I think when it comes to like taking care of themselves um is is consistency you know we're just we are creatures of habit and so um for for me the first goal is always to get someone um engaging with the practice of you know purposeful movement for example regularly and that can look like anything from five to ten minutes to 20 or 30 minutes to whatever that it is for that person and perhaps you know, like you said, it's different from person to person, but it's, it's really is a mindset shift from kind of the black and white thinking. I think that we have, or like the super goal oriented thinking that we have. And I hate to use this cliche, but you know, there's, there's a cliche about like, you know, that I can't, well, here, here you go. I don't even remember the cliche, but basically the value is in the journey. Like that's the thing is that, and, and I'll say sometimes like wellness, fitness, whatever you want to name it, health, self-care, et cetera, parenting, you know, this is a long game. And so focusing, we need to find, like you said, tangible successes that are really regular. And so that might not necessarily be seeing an immediate change in your dog's behavior, your kid's behavior, the way that your, you know, your posture is like instantly corrected, or you stop having knee pain on day one. Obviously that's not going to happen, but it's the under it's realizing that you have set an intention of correcting your dog's behavior, moving your body regularly. You've set the intention and you have done something to align with that intention. Your actions are aligned with the value. And that is where the magic is because there are immediate effects to exercise. Like I'll say sometimes that there are, you want instant results. There are instant results from exercise. You literally just need to do 10 minutes and you'll get, you know, an endorphin rush, lubricated joints, um, you know, like a cascade of, of hormones and nervous system calming. And there's lots of great things. Um, but really it's, what is the most magical, I think, is just having held 
to a promise to yourself. And that right there is where the motivation comes from. Because once you've proven to yourself, you can do this Um, and it's not impossible, then it becomes less and less and less intimidating. And then after consistency can come complexity, you know what I mean? Volume, um, more performance, whatever it is that might be what you think of as your end goal, you know? Yeah, no. And I, I think that again, that's like such a positive and optimistic outlook because what my fear would be, and I hear this from my clients quite often too, is that, what if the opposite happens and what happens if you send you like set that intention on a daily basis, mm-hmm. but then don't ever follow through with the actions, then as opposed to just being oblivious, now you're a failure. <laughs> <laughs> well, I see, you know where I see that is I see that more in, I mean, I think again, if we come back to, you know, the psychology part of it, there, <laughs> there's definitely a stage of, you know, we call like the pre-contemplation and the contemplation stage before someone's willing to really make change, you know, and it may feel like we're ready. But the truth is, is that we, if there may be a problem with what we're expecting of ourselves, the expectations or something logistical, like you, 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 you've emphasized a couple of times, like practical logistical things that matter in day-to-day life. And that's so important. So something like not having to change out of their clothing can be the thing that suddenly makes someone understand they could do 10 minutes of exercise, you know, or um, having being forced to start doing home workouts because of COVID, they finally realize that they're wasting time going to and from the gym, you know, or that it doesn't need to be every single movement session doesn't need to be including driving to the gym, parking or whatever. So there's definitely logistical and practical things. and those are important too. But I, I I do think that there's a stage where people are just not really ready to do it. And that's maybe a time when coaching is not going to work the best, you know, um, or that they um, will need to continue gathering information um, until they are ready to actually uh, sort of submit to the process. What are, what are your thoughts on rewards? Like with, you know, so with positive reinforcement based the dog training, which yeah. is like where my world is, yeah. you know, we find the things that your dog's most motivated by treats, toys, affection, praise, walks, play, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And then we provide those things in exchange for them providing focus, following instructions, behaving appropriately, remaining calm, et cetera. So like, obviously humans just like dogs are animals and like to be, you know, motivated by things and get access to great things. So like, do you encourage your clients to like choose motivations for themselves or prizes or rewards in various situations? Or do you think that that can have too much of a like long-term downfall? Um, I think, I think that um, ideally there, the activity itself bears some, fruit you know what I mean um like I guess in terms of carrying out a a task that maybe we would think of as hygiene and I do think there's value sometimes in just thinking of exercise in a hygienic way like how we would consider you know flossing our teeth or folding our you know folding our laundry things that need to get done in order for everything to stay kind of on an even keel and when we're talking about you know basic 10 minute workouts and stuff that's really what that is that's kind of we're trying to stay out of the pain zone we're trying to stay away from injury we're trying to feel like we have the energy to pick up our kids at the end of the day you know um so 
I think when there's reward in that in itself, and I really think the greatest reward does come from feeling like we are living up to our own expectations. But when it comes sometimes to like, I would say rewards um, are really important when we are trying to have like a longer view. So when you're saying like, we're not just looking at like the day-to-day stuff, but maybe, you know, we have a goal of looking at a month. So sometimes I will message clients and ask them, you know, say like in a particular like season or maybe a time like COVID on my, like in September, but okay, you know, or in August rather. So, you know, we're kind of one month to back to school and we would maybe set goals for the 30 days, you know? And I think that like compartmentalizing the, um, the, the longer term goals makes them more manageable. And then a reward is really effective. So, you know, if like perfect behavior out of your dog is your long-term goal or, you know, in fitness is like being the super athletic, cool granny at, you know, in your seventies is your goal. That's really far in the future to try to like grasp mentally. Right. So where we can find like, um, process like small enough chunks that we can mentally process them and then associate a reward with that. I think that's about the medium term goals. Sometimes we do need that little bit of motivation because hanging on, you know, for one day, a 10 minute workout is different from committing to, you know, getting 20 workouts in 30 days or getting your, you know, getting to a certain interval of of whatever it is you might be training for. So I think they're good. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with rewards, particularly if you're willing to look at what you're doing as like something that just needs to be done because it's good for you. Like, you know, like how your, your mom and yourself, like, well, Dara, you got to exercise or you're going to be broken. You know what I mean? So, so putting a reward system in, in there, maybe especially in the early days is probably a great strategy. Yeah. And I think that if you're the sort of person that can be motivated for a period of time by like a medium or even longer term goal, then it's fantastic. Mm. And I and I think the problem with me, and I can only speak from my own perspective, and I know that like my overall like <laughs> worldview is probably very <laughs> slanted. Um, but, you know, usually rewards are only motivating because they're, they're things that you limit access to in other aspects of your life. Right. Yeah. So if that's the case and it becomes that like forbidden fruit, so to speak, then the things that would be considered rewards are often things that you don't actually want to provide yourself access to on a regular basis. Mm -hmm. So it would sometimes be like a lot of, you know, dessert or alcohol or, you know, shopping or a cigarette or like whatever it is that that you really want that you try not to allow yourself to have. If those things become the reward and all you have to do is something else in order to access them, then you might be really motivated to do it more often, but then you're also giving yourself something that you're trying to, like that you're trying to eliminate from your life. That's my creepy. <laughs> That's my creepy. Yeah, what was that? I have my because because I have three kids and um, I can't keep track of the time. My computer yells out the time on the hour. 
That was terrifying. He's <laughs> a super creepy robo dude boy. Um, yeah, no, I get, I see what you're saying. And yeah, totally. I mean, the type of reward matters. I mean, I would say, you know, for example, let's, we come back to that example. Maybe you're trying to get into more consistency. You're, you've started doing some workouts and you're doing, you know, a couple 10 minute workouts a week, but you want to get to more consistency. And maybe you do look, okay, month of October is upon me. I'm going to do 20 workouts in 30 days. And so I would recommend and tracking that, you know, so pen and paper or what have you, um, we build like tracking stuff into Mama Reset. So it's like interactive because there is a, there is the reward just in clicking a button. You know what I mean? We are not that complex as organisms and checking a box does, does reward us. Um, for sure. Yeah. So there's, there's also the so does gamifying everything now. Totally. But that, but, or, or like, you know, texting your coach and saying, I did it. That's rewarding because your tech coach texts you back and says, great job. How did it feel? Whatever. So there are tons of rewards that don't necessarily have to involve, like, I ran a, you know, I went out for my run. I'm going <laughs> to smoke a cigarette. <laughs> But I think rewards are, or acknowledgement, maybe if we say it that way, like acknowledging your progress is a yeah. But as, I, as I'm listening to you talk, I'm recognizing why this sort of thing never works on me. <laughs> because as I'm listening to you, and I was like, what if I don't ever crave external validation? <laughs> Yes, you may not be a candidate for coaching. <laughs> uh, yeah, you may just be a, a, co- a coach, not a coachee. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny, though. And I was like, what if I don't care if anyone tells me that I'm doing a good job? Well, that and that's true. So in that case, then you then you're then you're really working from within yourself. But I think that um, <laughs> most of us have some. I know, I know. I know. I realize as I work with more people and have more conversations that I'm just odd. <laughs> like I think that's just what I what I'm learning through this process of, of talking to so many people. Odd, odd and wonderful though. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> well, so I was I was a smoker for many years, and I, I no longer smoke. Yeah, but. When I was a smoker and when I was working, you know, really long hours, I was running an advertising company mm-hmm. and in like what the way that my day was structured was I'd in the morning, I'd have a task list of literally like 38 things I had to do by noon. Yeah. And the only way I could do them was to know that I like did not allow myself to smoke until they were complete. Yeah. And the only thing driving my day was smoking. Yeah. So I... And so it's the same concept because then I was like super motivated all day to get all my work done because then I would look forward to that five minutes where I got to just sit outside and have a smoke and breathe. Mm-hmm. But, but since I quit smoking, which obviously I know is the best thing for me yeah. long term, there isn't something else that provides that like same amount of satisfaction in such a short period of time, mm-hmm. right? It's not like I'm going to like have a shot every time because I'm, I, by the end of the day, I'd be wasted. And, then, well. <laughs> and, and, I, and it's not something I'd be motivated by. Like I don't want to drink. I don't want to overeat. Yeah. I don't want to spend money on things that I don't actually need. Like I, you know, I don't, I don't want to do any of those things. So it's just really difficult to find something that provides that like, you know, as I said before, instant gratification and without it also being something that would be like detrimental to my health. So it's, yeah. it's, yeah, I'm, 
yeah, it's a struggle. I think that that's an interesting, this is like, um, we have to wrap up, but I, I feel like this is a, a can of worms that we've just opened. My brain is spinning, but I think when this is where a lot of the diet conditioning, um, starts to become apparent, I think in people's psychology, psychology, I don't mean your psychology, but I'm thinking about it from my perspective, from what I do. And that's where the exercise food entanglement comes from the concept that food should be an earned reward for behaving according to society's misogynist standards. So I see a lot of women coming into um, coaching and you usually when a woman would come to something that I offer she's probably at least partially already on the journey of trying to kind of recover her and come out of a period of if or maybe never dealt with that but I highly doubt it but um kind of coming out of a place of of wanting to punish herself and looking for exercise solutions that are less about um, my body is awful I need to beat it into the ground and more like I want to feel better about myself inside and out and um and and so what I see still though is that food that those two things are not extricated. So like we don't we can't understand food when it's not a reward, and that's hard because that conditioning, like um, that kind of reward conditioning, is in it, us from childhood. And I can see how in this work, in the work that you do, there is such a, a like a fuzzy line between you know, in terms of like how we reward, when you reward, you know, even with kids, right? Like, do you reward with food? Do you not reward with food? Do you reward at all? You know what I mean? Like it's even if it's not positioned as a reward, just the language that you use around deciding on access to different things, right? Even even saying like, you know, you can't have dessert until you finish your dinner. Mm -hmm. Although it's not being positioned as a reward, it's still placing higher value on the dessert than the dinner. Exactly. You're you're doing putting a value judgment. And then as you said, creating a scarcity around it, which is really um problematic right for a lot of people so um, I mean I guess smoking all day long (laughs) yeah it was not not, (laughs) I guess this is this too is where food becomes a bit nutty when we when we um parallel food uh if you believe in food addiction or not but when you parallel you know disordered eating with other kind of addictive uh, behaviors. It's so much uh, more nuanced because we can all agree that we would be healthier if we don't smoke any cigarettes at all. We can all agree the research is clear now. We would all be healthier if we never had a glass of wine. Do you know what I mean? That, that but but we can't stop eating food. So that does become that's where I think well, and that's why disordered eating is so different than any other cool. form of addiction agree. because you you do need food in order to survive. Mm-hmm. I agree. You don't need any of those other things in order to you know maintain health Mm -hmm. so yeah it's it's really difficult it's it's very challenging and I'm not motivated enough by food to say that I get to have like you know a little piece of chocolate every time I finish like like not that I don't eat chocolate I eat chocolate all the time but it's not a high enough reward for me to to do something that I really don't want to do I'd rather just not eat the chocolate (laughs) you're like why would I do that (laughs) that's true and like I think the rewards that sometimes work best are like uh so if you come back to like maybe we are going to do the you know 20 days of exercise in in a month or something you know that uh, like a reward that would make sense is like 
I'll get myself a new pair of workout pants or, you know what I mean? Or what have you, like those are rewards that make sense. Or I will, I will get a pedicure or I will book a, I will book a babysitter and I will go out to do this cool thing I've been, or see this art exhibit I've been wanting or whatever, you know, I mean, something that is a, is a, it's precious in that it uses re- resources you can spare and whatever that means, you know, but, um, and that you can look forward to. And it truly is something you wouldn't necessarily do every day. Right. Yeah, I know. I, I do think that we could talk back and forth about this forever. How much time do we have? Do you have to leave zero right now? Time. We have zero time. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to have to do a part two at some point. Cause I still have so much I want to ask you. We could go on. We could go on forever. <laughs> Hopefully we're yeah. interesting. We should not go for so. coffee some, at some point and then just like turn on a tape recorder. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do it. Well, it's so great to chat with you though. Yes. It was good to talk to you too. And I will keep in touch. Have a good day. You too. Bye Ashley. Bye. Thanks for listening. Are you looking to add a dog to your family? For a limited time only, listeners of Baby Puppy will receive 10% off our unique mutt-making package. Let us help you find the right breed, energy level, and temperament for your household based on your experience, expectations, routine, and personality. We always say there's no such thing as the perfect dog, but there is definitely a perfect dog for you. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, child or dog related, email info at meetyourmutt.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at meetyourmutt or visit the website at www.meetyourmutt.com. Remember, this podcast is just a baby or puppy. And as they say, it takes a village. So please rate and review. Happy parenting. Baby Puppy is hosted, recorded, and produced by me, Ashley Balin, production assistance by Koji Nagata, and theme song by Pink Distortion Music. Thank you.